All right. Well, good morning. It's great to be with you this morning. My name is Paul. If I haven't met you, I'd love to meet you. Please introduce yourself to me after the service. Uh, we want to get started by thinking about productivity. One of our favorite words, right? Here's a quote. This is a Paul Krugman. He's a professor at Princeton University. He says, productivity isn't everything, but in the long run, it is almost everything. A country's ability to improve its standard of living over time depends almost entirely on its ability to raise its output per worker. Productivity isn't everything, but it's almost everything. If you hear that, you should want to be more productive, right? I'm not sensing enthusiasm here. <laughs> we should want to be more productive. So if that's the case, I've got good news for you. Because uh, Lifehack offers 13 practical ways to be more productive. Oprah has 15 simple ways to be more productive. An active campaign offers 18 habits of highly productive people. Those links will be in the published version of my sermon if you want to uh, follow those. If you want some methods for productivity, you could try the Pomodoro technique. You could try getting things done. You could try personal Kanbans, the SMART goals method, the Eisenhower matrix. There's all sorts of possibilities for you to become more productive. Are you tired yet? That's exhausting, right? We live in a world of results, of efficiency, of accomplishments. A lot of your workplaces talk about KPIs and OKRs and uh, what else here? KRAs, metrics. We're always driven to increase some number and that number determines how well we're doing. And the thing is, when we live in that kind of a culture, that mentality of producing more, of being more, of improving our efficiency, it starts to seep into all the parts of our lives starts to seep into our relationships. And it starts to work its way into our faith. We start to think about being productive for God or being efficient in our spiritual lives. A Christianity Today article from April, from April of this year talked about how hard the past few years have been on pastors. And they made the comment, perhaps our greatest concern shouldn't be empty pulpits, but rather empty pastors standing in them. Those are kind of haunting words that even in the church, we work ourselves so hard, there's nothing left. There's nothing within us. Maybe there's a better way. Maybe there's a better way to live out our faith, to connect with God, to do his work in the world. And maybe if we learn that better way in our faith, maybe that will seep into the other parts of our lives as well. This morning, as Joanne said, we're looking at the last of the seven I am statements that Jesus made. We've spent the last six weeks trying to get to know Jesus better through these statements. And in this final one, we're going to hear Jesus say, I am the vine. Now, in these words, Jesus is going to offer us a different kind of perspective for how to live, a different kind of goal for life, a different kind of rhythm for what it looks like. 
What are we actually here for? And how do we accomplish that? Now, the final I am statement doesn't come in the context of a story like many of the others. It comes in the context of this long discourse where Jesus is explaining himself to his followers. We just heard most of it read, but we're going to zero in on John 15, 5. I'm going to read that again for us. Here's John 15, verse 5. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, in each of the previous six statements that Jesus made, he was mostly describing himself. And we were using them to try to understand who Jesus is. But this statement takes a little bit of a different twist because he doesn't just say something about himself. He says something about his followers as well. And what we're going to see is he actually says this. uh, He creates a whole picture of a system that works together. And he puts those who believe in him within that system and explains what they have to do. So as we read this verse this morning, we're going to understand not just something about Jesus, but something about us as well, if we count ourselves followers of Jesus. There's three main parts of this verse. The first is the metaphor, this idea of the vine and the branches and the vine dresser. And then Jesus follows that up with a command. He gives his followers a clear instruction. And then the third thing he does is he lets his followers know what will result if they follow that instruction. So we're going to look at this verse in those three parts. We'll, we'll look at the metaphor, we'll try to understand the command, and then we'll explore the result that occurs. Jesus repeats this I am statement two different times in this passage. He begins in the first verse. I'm going to read that again. Here's John 15, 1. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Now, you might notice a unique word there right away. I am the true vine. What does Jesus mean by true? And what we immediately realize is that Jesus is operating on multiple levels again. We saw this with the bread of life, where he was operating on one level, connecting back deep into Israel's history, talking about the episode of manna, but then also operating on just a more fundamental level of people eat bread all the time. And the same is true with this image. See, In the Old Testament, Israel is frequently referred to as a vineyard. For instance, here's Isaiah 5, 1 to 2. Let me sing for my beloved, my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. And he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. Israel is referred to a vineyard, but not just any vineyard, a vineyard with every possible advantage that failed to yield healthy fruit. And in fact, in all of the references in the Old Testament where Israel is compared to a vineyard, they occur in the context of judgment. Israel is not just any vineyard, she is a failed vineyard who didn't produce the kind of fruit that God expected her to. 
So when Jesus comes on the scene and says, I am the true vine, what he's saying is that he will be able to be fruitful where Israel failed to do so. Now, that's the historical level, but Jesus is also talking about this very just practical level. And I want to ask you a question. When you think of fruit, which fruit do you think of? Go ahead and yell it out. Peaches. I heard apples. Bananas. Blueberries. Grapes. Anything else? Oranges. Kumquat. I love it. That's not the first thing I think of, but I, that counts. Mangoes. Okay, good. So what's that? Apples. Yeah, for sure. If you were to ask this question of a Jew in the first century, they'd probably say one of two things, grapes or the only other fruit that occurs in the New Testament. Does anybody know what it is? Figs. That's right. Grapes and figs. For a New Testament Jew, that's what a fruit was, not apples or oranges or bananas. And I don't think they had kumquats. So, so when Jesus says, I am the vine, he's tapping into a very familiar image for the people that he's speaking to. Israel is full of vineyards. In fact, their climate is very similar to ours. So they have these rolling arid hills where uh, grapes grow very well. Pause for a plug. If you'd like to see those rolling arid hills, <laughs> we have a trip in November. You can go to Israel with us. Uh, we're getting close to the last chance to sign up for that trip. So you can go to pbc.org Israel if you would like to join us. And now we return to our regularly scheduled programming. So when Jesus said, I am the vine, he's not just saying words. He's tapping into memories for these Jews. He's tapping into the times during the harvest season when they saw the vines heavy with fruit. He's tapping into the times after the harvest where the vines were bare. And then months later when they were cut back and they looked like nothing could possibly grow from them again, but they'd only been pruned in order to grow more fruit the next season. All of those images would be fresh in the minds of Jesus' hearers when he says the words, I am the vine. So what he's saying when he claims to be the vine is that he is the source of life. He is the engine by which good things flow from naturally, things that bring joy and energy and life, rich life. Jesus is claiming that he is the vehicle that connects his followers, to something deep that overflows with life. So the question for us then, as we hear Jesus asking us, talking to us, is are you connected to Jesus? Are you connected to him as the source of life? Jesus uses a metaphor that would be very common for his people to understand. So I thought I'd throw out a few of our own metaphors. Jesus is the AC adapter, and you are the laptop. Without the AC adapter, there's no way that the electricity from the wall gets to you. All right? You like that? How about this one? Jesus is the transmission in your car. He takes the engine that generates energy 
and translates that, connects it to the wheels. Not so much? Okay. How about this one? Jesus is the social worker, and you're the recipient of benefits. The government has all these benefits, but you don't have access to them unless you have a social worker to help connect you. Or maybe Jesus is the aqueduct. I was up in the hills recently and saw this aqueduct that carries water from the Sierras down to our area. The water's there. We're here. Jesus carries it, bringing life and sustainment. You can come up with your own metaphors. The point is, Jesus is that peace, that connector that for his followers brings them life, connects them to the deeper source that they need to experience all that life is. If that is true then, then Jesus gives a command to his followers to help them in that. Now, before we get there though, I want to observe that Jesus has two other characters in this image. He says that he is the vine, his followers are the branches, but he also mentions the father. And he says the father is the vine dresser, or what people in Napa would call the vintner, the one who maintains the vineyard. Let me read this again. Here's John 15, verse 2. He says, of the father, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he, that's the father, takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So the father is doing two different things depending on two different circumstances. There's another translation of verse two that that makes a little bit clearer the word play that's being used here because the words for prunes and takes away are actually very similar in Greek. So look at this translation This translation reads, every branch in me that yields no fruit, he cuts off, but every one that yields fruit, he cuts clean. Those words are closely related, in order that it may yield more fruit. Now, this verse has been the source of a lot of controversy because people work really hard to figure out who it is that's bearing fruit, who it is that's not bearing fruit, what does Jesus mean, and those are serious issues, so I don't want to ignore them, but they're not at the heart of what Jesus is trying to say here. So I want to acknowledge that what is clear is that it's possible to not be connected to Jesus. This is not something that's simply true of everyone. It is possible to be apart from Jesus, and that should be sobering for us, and it should be something we take seriously And a reason that we want to help others be connected to Jesus. But the main point of what Jesus is saying is for those who are connected to him, that they are pruned or cut clean so that they can bear more fruit. Now, in reality, if you're growing grapes, you want an environment that challenges the vines. Uh, To show you what I mean, there's a movie clip. This is from a movie called Bottle Shock. It's the story of actually how Napa Valley became a world-class wine area. Uh, In the 1970s, there was a big competition. And here's, here's a clip that shows the vintner explaining a key principle to his intern. So let's watch this. Well, Sam, this is where wine is made, the vineyard. 
The vineyard's best fertilizer is the owner's footsteps. It's alluvial, sedimentary, volcanic soil. Dry. Limit the irrigation because it makes the vine struggle, intensifies the flavor. A comfortable grape, uh, well watered, well fertilized grape, grows into a lazy ingredient of a lousy wine. So from hardship comes enlightenment. For a grape. It's like that movie was made for a sermon illustration, right? I love that phrase. A comfortable grape is the lazy ingredient of a lousy wine. Who wants to be that? Some winemakers say stressed vines make good wines. The idea is that you actually want the vine to have to work hard. You want the vine to, to face challenges so that it can grow healthy fruit. Now, um, if you want to be, that's why it's really important if you want to be a healthy branch to know what to do. And so Jesus gives really clear instructions. Here's what he says. This is John 15, verse 4. He says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Now, if you want to be productive, there's all these techniques you can employ. There's classes you can go to. You can read Oprah's list of 15 tips on being productive. But if you want to be fruitful, Jesus says there's only one thing you need to do. Abide. Remain. Or stay. Stay connected to Jesus. Now, abiding is mostly about not leaving. It's just about remaining. It's not something that you have to work hard to do. You don't have to learn techniques to remain. You don't have to try and grit your teeth to abide. You just don't go anywhere. You stay. We've been working with our dog on learning some new commands and getting better trained. And so um, I was talked out of the idea of bringing our dog to this sermon, Boone. So I have the next best thing um, here. So here is a, a reasonable facsimile of Boone. This is uh, my dog. So we're going to put Boone right here. And I'm going I'm to demonstrate some of what Boone's been learning all right, so here's how it works. So I say to Boone, sit. And so th this, he doesn't bend. So um, <laughs> we're going to imagine that he's sitting. And I say, good. And he stays there. And what he has to do is he has to stay even when... <laughs> and Boone stays. That's a good trained dog, right? Sometimes we take little uh, kibble. This is food, right? And I say to Boone, stay. Look at that. <laughs> and he stays. Or we make uh, distractions. We start clapping. Hey, hey, Boone. Hey, hey. And he stays. Good dog, right? 
I know. All right, I'm going to pick up this kibble so that our worship leaders don't have to, uh, you know, don't get hungry. We're going to leave Boone there just to show you how well-trained he is for the rest of the sermon. It's not hard, it's not complicated to stay, but it's difficult sometimes. We have these distractions, we have things that tempt us not to stay. But the command Jesus gives is simple. Just stay. We're surrounded by these temptations to do something other than stay. Sometimes they are things that look really good. You know, we want to run after the toy because it looks really fun instead of staying. We want to feed ourselves. We want to get some other source of life because there's other things out there. And so we run after the food instead of staying. Sometimes it's painful to stay because we're being pruned. We go through difficult things in our lives. We face challenges, some of them devastatingly so. Trauma, really painful things. And God doesn't do those necessarily to us, but he uses them to prune us so that we might bear more fruit. We simply have to stay. It's not complicated, but it can be hard. And Jesus describes for us what happens when we stay, when we remain in him. This is what Jesus says occurs. Here's the result. John 15, 5 again. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So what happens when we remain? What happens when we stay? Even amidst all the distractions and things around us that might tempt us to go somewhere else, what happens when we stay in Jesus is that we bear fruit. We bear much fruit, in fact. And here's the great thing about fruit. See, the things that we produce when we try to be productive we can make a lot of great things in this world. We make inventions and we make systems and we do all sorts of great stuff, but everything we produce starts to degrade as soon as we finish it. Whether it's a computer or a system or a device or an economy or whatever it is, everything we make, everything we work hard to produce starts to degrade and eventually fades away. But when you bear fruit, fruit works completely differently. Fruit replicates itself. It multiplies. It grows. Fruit has a life of its own. It doesn't just come into being and fade. This is why God said this as he created the world. Listen to how God describes fruit when fruit is first Come into the world. This is Genesis 1, verse 11. And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit 
in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. You see the three layers there? Fruit trees bearing fruit within which is their seed, which leads to what? More fruit trees bearing more fruit with more seeds, which leads to more fruit trees bearing more fruit. Fruit has this cycle of life that grows and replicates. And it's amazing. I mean, I, I love stone fruit. So peaches are out now. Nectarines are out. And it's like better than anything. I don't know. Don't get me started on peaches. But the thing that's cool about fruit, and to a large degree, we've, we've obscured this because we get fruit from all around the world. But fruit only comes sometimes. That's why I particularly like peaches, because we don't get peaches in January. We get them in the summer. We get them in its season, and they're amazing, and then they're gone, and you have to wait. We have bananas all the time, because we fly them in from everywhere, and strawberries, and all these other things, but but peaches, we get them in their season, and that's how fruit works. You can run a machine to produce something 24-7 forever. It will always spit out the same thing over and over again. But fruit comes in seasons. It comes naturally. And it replicates itself. How many of you like seedless watermelons? Yeah, me too. Don't, Don't take this the wrong way. I'm not actually ranting against seedless watermelons but they are a perversion of God's creation. (laughs) God did not intend fruit to lack seeds. Now, they're very convenient, and I far prefer them to seeded watermelons. So with that caveat, theologically speaking, we were not meant to be seedless watermelons. That's us saying, you know, that seed part is really inconvenient. I'd rather just be a fruit and be done with it. But the way God designed it is that fruit trees bear fruit with the seed in them for the next fruit to come. The other thing I want to point out in this picture is that we've said this before. There's three characters here, right? There's the vine, there's the branches, and there's the vintner, the vine dresser. So here's a picture that might show, uh, kind of help illuminate this. That kind of gnarly thing on the bottom, that's the vine. Those little spindly things, those are the branches. And the guy with the gloves, that's the father. He's cutting away those branches. But I want to look at this picture for a little bit longer. I want you to notice that there's more than even those three characters here. You notice there's, there's the ground, and there's ground cover, and there's soil, and there's the climate. See, fruit gets grown in a whole system, a whole ecosystem of life. Winemakers call this um, terroir. I think I'm pronouncing that right. If I'm not, let's pretend I am. Uh, But that refers to the whole system, the the climate, the the soil, the, the amount of irrigation. Everything together contributes to the growing of the fruit. And so when Jesus says to abide in him, I think he's referring not just to this interior spiritual life, Make sure that you, in the depths of your heart, are connected to Jesus. That's part of it, absolutely. We have a personal, intimate connection with Jesus. But I think he's also referring to the whole system, 
the body of Christ, the church, the, the many layers of what it means to be connected to God. And so abiding in Jesus is also abiding in each other, in staying connected, in being part of a community. It's all the things that we do to allow God to help us be fruitful. And it's not stuff that we have to work at. We talk about this a lot at PBC. This is one of our values. The Christian life is not about working harder to make stuff happen. It's about staying rooted in Jesus. But it's about staying rooted in a community and and doing the patient work of remaining. So let me give us the same um, encouragement with, with a twist. Let me say again that we ought to stay. But in this case, maybe it's uh, staying after church. Talk to people. Stay after your small group. Stay in your small group. Stay in the community that you find yourself, even if maybe it's not meeting every need in every moment. Stay in those friendships. Stay with the people that you've walked through life with. If you're new around here, I want to I challenge you with an experiment. I want you to after the service, go sit on the patio for 15 minutes. Just sit there. Try to look as awkward as you can. And the rest of us, make sure that something happens in those 15 minutes. <laughs> Sometimes we cannot be very good at that. But, you know, I'm challenging us. See what happens. Stay. And allow the community to be that soil from which God uses to bring fruit. Again, it's not complicated to stay, but it can be difficult. There's lots of things that tempt us to leave. Let's think again about productivity tools and about how hard you have to work to be productive, to make things happen, to maximize your time, to be efficient. And let's think again about how some of that has creeped into what we think it means to follow Jesus. But Jesus is very clear. That is not the Christian life. It is not about efficiency. It is not about productivity. It is not about us doing things for God as if he needs us in some way. It's about us staying connected to him, remaining in him, and watching him Bring forth fruit. Now, I know that some of you probably have walked with Jesus a long time, and you haven't, you feel like you haven't seen fruit. Maybe you can't imagine bearing fruit. Maybe you feel like, yeah, I see other people bearing fruit, but all I do is sit around, nothing happens. Well, I'd say two things to you. One, sometimes you bear fruit without realizing it. And you don't always know the fruit that God works in your life. And two, sometimes there's long seasons of preparation where something will happen and that's what God's been preparing you for. The command is simple. Stay. Look at that. The whole rest of the sermon. Good dog. He didn't leave at all. Maybe we can stay. Maybe we can stay rooted in Jesus. And maybe that transforms our faith. And maybe it even seeps out into our lives. What if we have that attitude in our workplaces, in our families, of remaining 
of seeing what God will do rather than trying to make everything happen. I want to invite the band back up. And we're going to continue in worship now. We're going to sing about the Holy Spirit. We're going to sing about receiving the Spirit, about experiencing the presence of the Spirit. And I want to invite you just to to put yourself in a posture of receiving, of staying. Maybe that's a physical posture. If you want to open up your hands, you can. Maybe it's just uh, kind of a, a, a mentality. I want to invite you as we start to sing to to sense that dynamic of staying, of remaining, of allowing the Spirit to fill you, and then letting God bear fruit from that. Let me pray for us. God, thank you that you are in charge of your kingdom, that you are in charge of your work, that Our role is simply to stay connected to you and that all the good things that happen come from you. Apart from you, we can do nothing. But with you, we are promised that if we remain in you, we will bear much fruit. Help us to have that mentality. Grow that within us, Father, so that it might seep out into the rest of our lives. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Pray.